bien qu'est-ce que c'est là Pour lui mettre des gars, mais garder le bas, fait bas Et chaque jour, nous venons nous garder pour l'autre état Puis l'autre état, et l'autre état Un vieux est posé par sujet qui a suivi Deux, elle peut décrocher un cas, c'est comme une malade Trois, ce sentiment nous cap qui t'aime Nous pouvons porter ce sentiment, nous pouvons nous plaire à l'aise Welcome back, everyone, to Thoughts and Tea. I am your host, Lori Lee. I want to first and foremost wish everyone a very happy Haitian Flag Day. Um, I hope we are all doing well and staying safe. Uh, during this pandemic, right? So many of us are having a hard time connecting um, or definitely meeting people right now, trying to abide by our new rules of social distancing. Dating has become extremely challenging. I've been looking around and researching, trying to prepare for this conversation today, and I found quite a few articles about virtual dating, right? So this is This is the thing that's happening right now. While everybody is locked in and trying to stay quarantined, they are speed dating via Zoom. So imagine a grid of faces. You're, you're at home, you know, in the comfort of your own home, dressed up probably from, from the waist up, <laughs> and wine in hand, and you're looking at a grid of faces, Everyone's kind of scanning each other, trying to get a feel for who has signed up. And from what I understand, the whole group is given access to this sheet. And on this sheet, there are login details for separate rooms. The men stay in their assigned rooms, and the women have to switch rooms every 10 minutes. So you get 10 minutes to get to know someone virtually. That's where we're at today. And I don't know about you, but to me, that seems extremely impersonal and as crazy as that seems it's when you think about it not that far off from from where we were pre-covid 19 right dating has changed so much in the last few decades i think of my parents my aunts my uncles you know the stories of how they all met and wooed each other meeting as teenagers growing up together sharing values and history, getting married, starting a family. And I won't go as far as saying that those stories no longer exist, but it does feel like they've become really, really rare. There was a time, you know, when I, when I think back to the generation my parents are in and my aunts and my uncles, and back then, I think being single and in your 30s was the exception. And fast forward, you know, some 30, 40 years later, today it's quite common. So according to the 2017 census, there are more single adults in the United States than there have ever been before in history. 110.6 million unmarried people over the age of 18. That's 45.2% of the American adult population carrying out their lives, 
to this new set of societal norms. There are a bunch of surveys that show that millennials specifically have made a conscious decision to stay tinks, to stay single for a longer period of time. 81% of young people today see being single as beneficial in ways beyond their love lives. You know, it, millennials invest more time in their careers, in their social lives, in their personal time while being single. Now, me personally, I've never quite identified with millennials. So technically, those of us who were born from 1981 to 1995 are millennials. But I was born on the earlier side of that, right? 1983. So I know that means I'm too young to be considered as part of Generation X, but I'm also not really a millennial. And I've had tons of arguments with a specific friend <laughs> And, you know, we've gone back and forth, and, and he has told me, I am a millennial, according to what it is, 1981 to 1995-96, that means I'm a millennial. But I've never identified really with that group. So I was really happy in doing my research for today to find out that there is a name for those of us who are on the cusp, right? We are Xenials, and those are people who were born in the early 80s, right? It's a micro-generation of people born between 1977 and 1985. And that small, you know, number of years may not seem like much of a difference, but it really is, especially when it comes to dating. When I started going to parties and dating in high school and college, it was a game, you know, and we were all trying to get better at it. Making eye contact, smiling just the right amount, you know, not too much so you don't look too desperate, but just enough to let somebody know that you're interested. You had to be able to spark up a conversation and keep it going. Sometimes you had to be able to win someone over in a line or two. I had a lot of male friends growing up, and I'd go out with them, we'd go to clubs, and on the way there, they'd be talking about how many numbers they were going to get, you know, and I'd watch them while we were out, the way they would go up to girls and try to make them laugh or offer to buy them a drink, sometimes getting completely shot down, and then other times they'd win. It was this game, and it took a lot of practice. So like anything else, talking to girls was a skill that they could develop. I remember even coming back from a summer break, from summer vacation, and all of a sudden people had a different type of swagger, right? Somehow they had changed over the last few months. They'd grown up, gained some confidence, and now talking to the opposite sex was easy. They were smooth with it. That's the generation that I'm in. That's what we did. And it wasn't always all on the guys, right? For the right guy, my friends and I would risk making the first move. You had to take your chance. And sometimes you struck gold and sometimes you struck out. That's just what it was. Me personally, I met my first boyfriend on a train. I was on the Long Island Railroad, headed back to school, headed back to Fordham. 
and we were on the platform. We checked each other out. And then when we got on the train, he waited so that I could choose my seat first so that he could casually sit down next to me. And after a few stops, he finally introduced himself. We started talking and we ended up talking the rest of the way into Penn Station. Exchanged phone numbers and maybe a few hours went by. He called me later that day. We met up to grab a bite near my school. And that simple exchange on that train turned into a four-year relationship. Right? The fact that he made the effort to approach me, to talk with me, to engage with me, that has now become part of our history. We spent four years together. That's what I'm used to. You know, a couple years later in my early 20s, I met my next boyfriend at work. He was in a different department, but we sat, you know, in the same section of the office. And on the first day that he saw me, I could hear him a couple cubicles away asking about me, trying to figure out who I was, when I started. And when he started to walk away, I saw, so I got up, pretended I needed to grab something from the printer, and casually bumped into him. So he introduced himself, we started to chat, and after a few days, everyone was talking about this, uh, this going away party that they were throwing for a colleague. So I just asked him if he was going, and he offered to walk me there since I had never been there before. And that was it. You know, we talked for about an hour or so at the party, and when I said I was tired, he offered to walk me to the train, we ended up standing outside Times Square Station for almost two hours, just talking. And those interactions turned into a relationship that lasted ten and a half years. So by the time I was single again, everything had changed. I was 34 and everyone was meeting on apps. I remember friends telling me, no, Lori, you have to get on the apps. That's the only way to meet people now. Match, Tinder, Happen, Coffee Meets Bagel, OkCupid, Bumble, The League. There are so many apps. Not to mention just, you know, sliding into somebody's DMs on Instagram or Facebook. I had to learn all of this, and it, and it made me feel really old, right? I had been out of the game for a significant amount of time, and when I came back to it, it was totally different. And that's where we're at where we're at now. This is how we meet people. It's incredibly impersonal, right? And for some people, this is all they know. This is how they have always dated. Everything is done on a screen or better yet, hiding behind a screen. Dating itself is already a complicated task, right? It takes some courage. You have to put yourself out there. And many of us are trying to put our best selves out there, right? You're trying to really get to know someone and have them really get to know you. You're both looking at each other. You're assessing each other, trying to figure out if you're compatible, if there's chemistry. And now we're adding this, this whole other layer to it. Instead of meeting each other naturally in our real environments, it's all being done on your phone. 
you know, if you meet someone out or through friends or at work, there's already some form of familiarity. You work together. So you know this person has some level of stability. They have a job. If you meet them at a place that you frequent, you know on some level he or she likes the same kind of places that you like. There's a comfort that comes with knowing that your worlds have overlapped naturally. And we're seeing each other in the flesh. If there's a physical attraction, you know right away. But if you're using apps, it's a completely different ballgame. You are creating a profile, taking your best pictures in the best lighting with the best filters to try to attract someone in the three seconds they take to decide if they're swiping left or right. And if they don't swipe right away, you want to at least intrigue them enough with your photo that they choose to look a little deeper into your profile, right? Beyond the photos, what you're trying to say. You're trying to sum up who you are in a few sentences. You want to be the right amount of funny and the right amount of smart. You're putting on display your likes, your dislikes, your favorites, your pet peeves. Trying to tell just enough of your story to make someone else decide if you are worth it. And for all of this to truly work, people would have to actually be honest about who they are. So many people use the apps to paint a picture of who they would like to be or who they think people would like to be with. You know, we've all heard of a few catfishing stories. For listeners who may not know, catfishing is when you lure somebody into a relationship with you based on this fictional online persona that you've created. And this is a real thing. And there are levels to catfishing, right? The obvious is the extreme. You use somebody else's photos to create, you know, your profile. So you're not at all who you're pretending to look like. But then there's the more, the more subtle deceit. People lie about their jobs. They lie about their education where they live, the kind of lives they lead. You know, so in being real, dating today can be pretty risky. And maybe it always has been. But today I really want to look at the negative impact that dating apps will have on our society long term. For young men and women, starting to date is like a rite of passage. We look forward to it. Right? When I was 10 and 11, I'm looking at my older cousins dating. It's like, oh, I just can't wait to get there. Right, I want to start dating. We try and we fail and we try again. We try to engage with others. You know, We're learning how to compliment each other. We're courting and being courted. Learning how to speak to one another respectfully and playfully. Being rejected and getting back up again. These are all life lessons that teach us who we are. In this process, we gain confidence. We develop a thick skin. We learn who can be trusted and who shouldn't be. Throughout dating, you know, especially in the early years, we are growing, evolving, maturing. And while you may not agree with me, 
I feel like this new way of dating eclipses that side of ourselves that really needs to develop. Looking at specifically three areas of, of negative impact, right? So going back to millennials, this generation for the most part had parents who pushed coaches and teachers to give awards to everyone. It wasn't fair for there to be a first place, a second place, and definitely not a loser. They wanted all of the kids, especially their own kids, to feel like winners, despite the fact that they didn't have the winning score. So already there's this belief that it doesn't matter what my output is or what my contribution actually is. When you take that and you combine it with the fact that regardless of the life you've actually built for yourself or what you can realistically bring to a relationship or partnership, all types of women or men are trying to sell themselves to you on an app for you to decide if they are worth it. This idea that you can scroll through pictures and basically rate someone at first glance gives us all this false sense of superiority. When you look at men specifically, without the apps, a man might walk into a bar and see 30 or 40 women who are out, right? Looking to mingle and chat and connect. And in order for him to get the attention of a few, he's got to make a real effort. He's got to dress up. He's got to smell good. He's got to make eye contact and offer to buy them a drink, tell a good joke, have good banter. It's not easy. But with the apps, in the comfort of his own home, you know, hanging out, chilling in his pajamas on the couch, he can scroll through hundreds of women. The only effort he had to make was to put a profile together and hold his phone in his hand. That's it. We have to admit that if this is all you've known, if this is your idea of dating, the way you see women will be wildly different from that of a man who feels he has to bring his A-game in order to leave that bar with even just one phone number. It's only natural that that way of thinking would spill over into other areas of your life. The gratification is instant with the apps. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try your best. It's all at your fingertips. You are in complete control. I got a few messages over the last week, and the overwhelming commonality was that people dating today with the apps just cannot handle rejection. Can you blame them if they've never really had to deal with it? A lot of the female listeners shared stories um, about some crazy reactions men have had when they expressed that they weren't interested in them. Everything from cursing them out to body shaming to even slut shaming them. All because they weren't interested there's an Instagram account that my brother told me about called By Felipe. It will make you laugh, but it is also kind of terrifying. Among other things, it's a collection of reactions of men who have been rejected. And it is insane. 
I had someone send me today, just about an hour or so before this show started, a screenshot of a guy going off on a woman because she wasn't comfortable meeting him in person because of the current stay-at-home order. He literally cursed her out for not being willing to go out and meet him in the middle of a pandemic. So take that guy and compare him to the man who's in the club, who tries and fails a few times in one night before meeting a woman who laughed at his jokes and exchanged numbers with him. His experience is different. That man can go to work and comfortably present an idea to his team without fear of being rejected. He understands that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. It's not a reflection of who you are. All you have to do is try again, maybe try harder, maybe come at it from a different angle. Isn't that man better prepared for the world? I had a funny experience traveling. I was on my way back from Los Angeles to New York, and I was sitting in the Delta Sky Club, and, you know, there was a man there, an attractive man. He looked at me. I looked at him. You know, we exchanged glances a couple times, but that was it. And I got on my flight, and a few minutes later, it turns out he was on the same flight, but sitting in actually the same row as me. There was just one person sitting in between us. And he smiled, you know, the lady in between us got up to use the restroom and he looked at me again and smiled, but never said anything. That flight from Los Angeles to New York is like a six and a half hour flight. You've got a captive audience. We are stuck here. If there was ever an opportunity to approach someone who can't just get up and walk away, this is it. But he couldn't take it. Literally, the entire flight went by. The only thing he ever said to me was hello when he first sat down. He never engaged with me. He didn't ask me if I was, you know, going home or, or you know, traveling to work. He, he didn't say anything. And when we got off the plane and went to go wait for our luggage, he came over, stood right by me. I'm waiting for my luggage. He's waiting for his. And now, as my luggage is approaching, is when he finally muscles up the nerve to say something to me. And at that point, it's like, I'm tired. I want to go home. Like, you missed the opportunity, Right? That's somebody who you can tell has never really had to just approach someone and try to talk with them. Another friend of mine told me that while on a plane, he was talking with a guy sitting next to him. And this was towards the end of the flight. And the whole time they were talking, the guy had his phone out and he just kept swiping right without even looking down at the phone. When he finally asked him about it, he said, oh, man, it's a numbers game. I'm only here for the weekend. Which brings me to my second impact. Apps have taken all of the genuine connecting that comes with meeting someone, right, and, and turned it into something that is transactional. 
And for many people, it's just about hooking up. So if you're someone actually looking to connect, it's created another layer of people you now have to weed out. So many people are looking for something quick. They're looking for that instant gratification. I need someone to talk to right now. I need someone to lay with right now. So let me jump on this app real quick and just pick somebody. It sounds silly, but it's the truth. And and I've seen it. I don't like the idea of apps. But when I first became single two years ago, I gave it a shot. I tried. I gave it a real try. I put my profile together, picked some good pictures, and I put myself out there. You know, I understand the benefits of the app. It does make things easier in a way. So many of us are living really busy lives. It can be hard to make time to meet people. Pre-quarantine, I traveled a lot for work. When I first started with Google, I was away from home at least one week, sometimes two weeks out of the month. So yeah, it made sense. Get on the apps and try to connect. But I don't know if it's because I'm old school. I just, I just hated it, you know, and I know it has worked for so many. But I found that so, so many men were just looking for quick hookups or some men thought that by reading my profile, they already had a deep understanding of who I was. And so instantly we should be in a committed relationship. What happened to getting to know one another, talking on the phone for hours, learning about each other? And yeah, there were a few who were really nice, and we dated for a bit, but it was like finding a needle in the haystack. While the apps give us hundreds or give us access to, to hundreds of people or maybe even thousands of people that we wouldn't normally have access to, I think they create a greater sense of loneliness. There's so much data, you know, online about, you know, the statistics and and what dating is like out there today. 40 million Americans use online dating or apps. 40 million. And 52.4% of that 40 million are men. So if there are so many people out here looking for love, why... Why haven't they found it yet, right? If, if there's so many of us trying to date, trying to meet people, looking for love, why aren't the numbers going down? Why aren't people actually finding each other? Maybe it's because 53% of people lie on their profiles. I think 20% of women in this survey said they used older photos from when they were younger, when they were thinner. And 40% of men said they lied about their jobs. According to eHarmony, based on the matches that they've seen, women are most desirable at age 21. And on the flip side, men who are at age 48 have double the amount of online pursuers than women of the same age. So I just think it's interesting that despite all of the apps that are out there, there seems to be this push now, right, to find ways to form genuine connections with people. We're seeing shows like Love is Blind on Netflix. 
For those of you who haven't seen it, Love is Blind is a dating reality show uh, created by Chris Colin that takes 30 single people and forces them to date each other blindly. It's basically speed dating on steroids and without being able to see the other person. They have 10 days to date and fall in love and decide whether or not they want to marry that person. It's only then, after getting engaged, that they get to see each other. What I thought was really interesting is that they were completely isolated. No access to their phones or social media. The process forced them to put in time into each other without distractions. So I'm a hopeless romantic. I, I, I do think it's possible to kind of fall, someone, fall for someone in 10 days without ever seeing them. And I choose my words carefully, right? I'm not saying fall in love with someone. I'm saying fall for someone. Like, you, you know, you have feelings for the person. It's impossible to truly know somebody in 10 days. You know, uh, Zoe Enton, who's a psychotherapist, said, I think it's possible to fall in love with the idea of someone very quickly. So in this case, they fell in love with the idea of this person and hope that the idea they had of them was in fact correct. So does the experiment actually work? I don't know. But for it to work, it would definitely have to be under these circumstances, right? No distractions. And that's just impossible in real life. We have work. We have our families. We have our friends. We have our obligations. We watch the news. There's just so much happening in our lives daily that keeps us from establishing connections, you know, there are men that I've gone out on a date or two with in the past that I wish I had made more time for, whether I was traveling or focusing on work. There are definitely a couple of missed opportunities that I can think of. Another thing I also loved about the show was that physical attraction was taken out of the equation, or at least it was at first. If we let go of the ideas that we have of what we think our partner should look like, we could actually find someone who matches our spirit, matches our energy. Of course, in a perfect world, we'd hope that we would also be physically attracted to that person. There was a couple on the show, uh, Kelly and Kenny. And throughout the series, they looked like they had a really solid connection, right? Similar values, similar goals, similar backgrounds. But after meeting face-to-face... Kelly just could not get past the fact that Kenny was not her type. He didn't look like the boyfriend she'd had in the past. And that alone made their chemistry just fizzle. So don't you think it's interesting that in this world, where 40 million people are dating on apps in the U.S., that this series would be one of Netflix's biggest hits? In March 2020, I think March 24th, Netflix reported that 30 million households had watched the series, which had only premiered a month before. I mean, it's definitely a, a fun binge, but ultimately kind of sad to watch, right? It puts on full display 
how easily we could connect with one another if we weren't judging each other on just what our eyes could see. But also it showed the immense pressure that we feel today to find love and to get married. So many of the contestants said, if I don't get married now, I never will. Now, that's a really strong statement. And kind of hard to hear, right, that 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 many people would feel that kind of pressure. If I don't get married now, I never will. So I'm going to leave you with that for a second. We're going to take a quick break. You know, I can say this as a 36 year old black woman who was once engaged to be married. You know, there is a monumental pressure that we put on ourselves and that our families and friends and peers put on us to be married, to find the one, you know. After calling off my engagement, it took me some time to decide what I would do moving forward. And I made the choice that I was not going to accept that weight. But it was hard, and it took me some time to get there. You know, especially when 
the people you love constantly ask, so are you seeing anyone? When are you going to get married? You're not getting any younger. The list goes on. You know, I, I once had a close family friend tell me that there was still hope for me. Imagine that. There's still hope for you. I had to take a step back and ask myself, you know, do I, do I look like somebody that, that needs hope? I'm successful working for a company who has been at the top of the Forbes list of best companies to work for over the last six years. I'm independent. I own my own home. I've traveled across the world, seen different cultures, had once-in-a-lifetime experiences, you know, from riding an elephant in Bali to ziplining in the jungles of Thailand, taking in, you know, the view at the highest point in Singapore, praying in the temples of Kyoto. And, and yet there are people who will look at my life and say that it is incomplete. And I'm not going to, you know, believe that it's coming from a mean-spirited place. I'm just going to say that I think it's based on fear. They love me, and, and they are looking at my life with the lens of their own fear. It's not that I wouldn't want to find love or to be married. Of course, you know, I, I would want that. But it's the fact that my life is not less than because I haven't done that yet. And that brings me to my third impact, right? Social media is this space for people to tell the stories about themselves that they want to tell. We curate our own pages and posts with what we want to portray. You never really know what someone is living just by looking at the pictures they choose to post. And that, you know, that goes for me as well. That's just the reality of what social media allows us to do. Looking back at the quote I discussed with you guys a few weeks ago from Little Fires Everywhere, Mia, the character played by Carrie Washington, said, I think you can't imagine why anyone would choose a different life from the one you've got. That's why people make those kinds of comments. They can't understand how you can choose to live and be happy living a life that is different from their own. We're not meant to all have the exact same experience. What's good for me does not have to be good for you. A few years ago, there was like an onslaught of statistics regarding the single black woman. In 2009, the census reported that roughly 40% of black women ages 34 to 39 had never been married compared to 14% of their white female peers. There was also research that showed that black women from 35 to 45 with a college degree were 15% less likely to be married than a white woman without a degree. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of staggering. Shonda Rhimes, who is a black woman, you know, very successful TV and film producer, writer, and author, said that all this data made her think that she should just give up on dating and relationships. This successful creator of some of our favorite TV shows 
Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, Private Practice, How to Get Away with Murder, thought there was no chance she would ever be married based on statistics. That's the story they, and, and I know we can debate on who they is, so that's for another time, but that's the story they've been telling us about ourselves. We're made to believe that our successes, our triumphs as women of color make us intimidating. So in other words, if you want to get married, you've got to dumb yourself down. That can't be right. You know, my parents raised me to work hard, to go after my dreams, to be strong, to be independent. So if anything, I would say, I think those who are intimidated by that are the ones I'm trying to weed out, you know, but nonetheless, that's what's out there for us to read, creating this sense of fear that it may not happen for some of us. All of these ideas are compounded and they force us to want to try experiments like married at first sight. You know, another show produced by the same company who brought us Love is Blind. The premise of, of Married at First Sight is that a team of experts will select three to four couples to be married. So these people are essentially trusting strangers to not just set them up, but actually marry them off. So after a series of interviews, if they are selected... They will meet their husband or their wife for the first time at the altar. The show has now had 10 seasons, and I think they're currently taking applications for season 11. Recent seasons have brought in over 50,000 applicants, many of them stating the same thing as the contestants from Love is Blind. They have a fear that if they don't find a way to get married now, it will never happen. You know, it's as if all of this technology is actually making people want to go back in time. The sheer number of options available to us on these apps are overwhelming, and they just make us wish someone could make the choice for us. The show claims to have had, you know, over 50,000 applicants per season for the last few seasons. So that would mean that there's over 250,000 people out there who would resort to going back to arranged marriages instead of dealing with the dating world today. And that's the 250,000 people who actually chose to act on it. But how many more are, are thinking of it? And while I'm sure there are lots of reasons for this, you know, we have to admit that social media lands in the top three. That's a definite. Studies have linked the use of social media to depression, anxiety, and lower self-esteem, and a plethora of other things. This idea of, of FOMO, the fear of missing out, is very real. So many of us are glued to our smartphones, scrolling through the lives of others instead of trying to live our own lives. Has anyone ever gone into their settings 
to see how much time they spend with their phone screens on per day. Or better yet, you could actually go in and see how much battery usage is, is going to a specific app. It's scary to see how much time we spend on Instagram and Facebook. And again, as I say all of this, I'm also talking to myself. You know, we have to be careful not to get caught up in the depictions of life that people are curating for themselves. We all do it. We're always going to be quicker to share a happy moment in our life. Something we are proud of, something that was that was special, a moment where we felt love, instead of sharing a low point, you know, and that's that's only natural. We just have to remind ourselves that what we're seeing online isn't the whole story. Relationships are hard. Dating is hard. It takes courage. It's, it's you know, there's trial and error. You're putting yourself out there. You are um, exposing yourself to someone who is out of your comfort zone, someone who's not in your world, and trying to figure out if, if they could be in your world. And all the things we do, sometimes it's, it's, it's not enough. You think you're getting to know someone. I remember at one point I was telling myself, okay, there's got to be like a four or five date rule before I allow him to know where I live. You know, I, you can't pick me up on the first date. I will meet you wherever we're going. I, I need to really know who you are before we get there. But four or five dates is not always going to be enough. You know, when you hit it off with someone and you're really talking and you're sharing stories and you're sharing experiences, yeah, you have a better chance. But just because you someone didn't share their life story doesn't mean it was a bad date. You know, I found myself in a situation a year ago where I went on four dates with someone. Four dates. We went to the movies. We went for a drink. We went for dinner. Um, and then I think... The other was like another, like a lunch date or something in the middle of the day. So I gave it four dates. I could really gauge who this person was. And for that fifth date, I offered to cook him dinner. And so I bought all my ingredients, bought everything I needed, and went to his apartment for the first time to cook dinner. And this was someone that I was impressed with, you know, he had his own business. Um, he was always a gentleman, always opened all the doors, seemed very thoughtful. And when I walked into his apartment to make dinner, I quickly understood that whatever I had been seeing was just the representative he chose to share with me. It wasn't who he really was. And it took that experience for me to say to myself, wow, you know, like it's, it, you can't, you can't put a number on anything, right? I may have gone out with this person 10 different times and still not known what he would have been like, you know, in his own home in private. It takes a lot to get to know people. 
So reading somebody's profile, seeing that you like the same movie, or maybe that, you know, you went to the same college, or that, you know, you, you have the same favorite, like, it, it's just not enough. That doesn't, that doesn't tell you the whole picture. That doesn't tell you who this person really is. And I say all of this to say that dating is just hard. It's complicated. It was always complicated. And now with the apps, we've added this other layer that, you know, takes us, you know, even a few steps back from who someone really is. So you have to take the time to get to know someone. And don't let the apps and the pressures of social media force you to think that you need to rush down the aisle or expose yourself to things that you normally wouldn't. Just to live the life that other people think you should be living, is, is that really what we're doing all of this for? I'm not saying I have the answers, but I can say that I think there is a, a calm and a confidence that comes with truly knowing yourself and being able to be with yourself, spend time with yourself before you jump into anything with anyone. Because maybe if you really know yourself, you'll be careful about who you present yourself to be online you know you'll want that representation of you to be a real representation of you because you're comfortable in your own skin and you're confident and so you'll tell the truth about who you are that's the only way to do this you know I know that most of us want love and we want partnership but it comes to us at different stages in our lives just because some of our paths are different than others doesn't mean our lives are less meaningful. And that goes both ways. Some of us have had career first and marriage later, or maybe marriage first and career later, babies first, then marriage, careers first, and then babies. There are so many ways to live, and neither one is better than the other. Dating can be exhausting, really exhausting, but it's only worth the effort if you do it in an authentic way. Maybe that means apps for you, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially in today's environment, you know? Who knows when we'll be able to be out and about again? So just be sure to be authentic. Be genuine in your profile. It will only work if we are honest with one another about who we are, about what we look like, about what we value, and about where we want to go. If this is the new way, then so be it. Just make the most of it. Be comfortable in your own skin. Know what you bring to the table. You don't need to amplify who you are or exaggerate your successes. And also, try not to judge each other so quickly. You can't make a decision about someone in three seconds. It's just not possible. And I 
do think that that's something the apps have created, right? This idea of quickly swiping right, swiping left, trying to scroll through as many pictures as possible so that you can get as many matches as possible just to have inauthentic conversations. Of course it'll seem exhausting if that's how you're doing it. I think the most important thing is to talk. Talk. Talk a lot and then talk some more. That's the only way you can truly get to know people and determine whether or not there's something there. If we don't actually spend the time to ask each other questions, you know, going on a date is nice. You sit down, you watch a movie, and then you go home. Do you know that person any better than you did before the movie? Not really. You've got to talk. You've got to ask each other questions. So Louis, can I be... jump in? Sure. I'm getting so many messages about this. <laughs> I love that. I'd I'm love to know what people are saying. So, someone says, I'm with Louis. Be authentic, not faux. F-A-U-X, authentic. Mm-hmm. That means you, okay. And then somebody says, Louis is really talking. And of course they say, you take after me and so forth and so on. <laughs> and then... Um, some other people are saying that, um, I'm going to tell you because there's a long one. It says, I'm going to start right here. It says, most men see a woman and think that she's intimidating. And I think you already addressed that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then some, um, someone says it is true. Um, somebody says, no, it is not at all. Um, so somebody says that, uh, you see, I'm getting them. I um, hear them. <laughs> yeah. I am too scared to see, but good point. And as far as uh, dating two, three times, it's only to find out that they suck. It is hard as heck. Um, someone says that um, I've tried both and the most truthful felt, the most truthful I felt, I was more Hurt. And somebody says that just cut them. And someone says um, just because I'm single doesn't mean that I'm miserable. I want someone, but I am okay. So a lot of them are, are just coming. So and I love that. Somebody else says um, I'm spinning my tea, and I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll touch on a few of the comments you just, that you just got. You know, this idea that because I'm single, I'm somehow miserable. I feel like that's, it's unfortunate. And when, and when I talk to people, especially, you know, black women like me who, and, you know, we're at work together and we're sharing stories, it's such a common feeling. And it's not that, it's not that the people who think it don't love us. And I think that's what I've come to understand because there was a time when I was very defensive and it took talking to my mom, talking to, you know, a few other people to understand that people are making those comments because they might feel that they would be miserable if they were single. That's their issue. 
You know, Mm -hmm. I think what we have to be careful about is not letting other people's interpretations of our life dictate how we view ourselves. And that's something that it's, it's taken me quite a long time to get there, but I'm there. I really do love my life. And again, it's not that I'm saying I love my life. It's perfect. I wouldn't change anything. I don't want a partner. That's not true. I do want a partner, but I want somebody who is going to add to my life, not take away from it. And maybe because of the stage that I'm in, the levels that I've reached, the things that I enjoy, it might be harder to find that person. It might take me a little bit longer to find that person, but it doesn't mean that I'm unhappy. doesn't mean that I'm not okay. It doesn't mean that I don't have purpose and things that I'm doing and impacting other people's lives. That's their view on it. And the other piece, I think you said someone, you know, commented about this idea of, of successful women being intimidating. Mm-hmm. That's something I hear all the time. You know, I've had male friends who love me, you know, and, and want me to to find someone great tell me that I need to learn to be more submissive. You know, I, I look like I'm too independent. Well, I am. That, that I am. <laughs> you know, it's the truth. And, and that just means that there's a certain type of guy out there for me. You know, someone who understands that, yeah, I am successful and I travel a lot and I command a business and I have people that report to me. And so I am a boss at work. It doesn't mean I'm trying to be a boss at home, but I'm not going to not be myself so that I can make somebody else feel better. I'm looking to find somebody who is as comfortable in their own skin as I am in mine. To that person, I will not be intimidating. Somebody says that, and I agree with Laurie that some people are trans. Oh my God, so many messages are just coming up. Okay, let me try. One says, great top, great topic. I'm enjoying this week's episode. Good for her. I wouldn't know what to do in the dating world today if I wasn't married. Okay. So somebody else says, Laurie, you are a natural on the radio, and I hope that the person who said there is still hope for you is listening. And then... Uh, someone says, I agree with Laurie that some people are transferring their fear when they say things like, there is hope for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think I got to because I'm getting Messenger, WhatsApp, and message is regular. And other people are saying that um, this is a great point. A man that I, a man that I tell you, sit down. I don't understand exactly what that person is trying to say. Oh, a man that I will tell you. No, I don't get it. Uh, never mind, because uh, I don't think it is probably uh, <laughs> wording. But um, it's um, just just keep going. Yeah, I mean, d- dating is is definitely it's hard. It's hard, and the way things are today with the apps and social media, it, it makes it more complicated. Um, but I think I was, I was really excited to talk about this because it's something that I talk to my friends about all the time, right? So many of us, whether married or dating, you know, we all have had stories of things that didn't go well or situations that were weird. And um, it's, it's just not easy. Somebody and, says that tippity tap, I'm joy. 
I'm just thank you. I'm just passing them to you. Go ahead. So yeah, you know this is this is something we could continue to talk about, and maybe we'll do a subsequent episode where we address a lot more of the comments. You know, but mm-hmm. my challenge to to people this week: if you are single and dating, be you and be open. Be you and be open. Trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust what feels right, what feels wrong, and, and make decisions based on that. Don't do it based on where, you're, where you think you need to be or how quickly you're trying to get there, because that's when we fall into situations that we would rather not be in. So be you and be open. If you have a friend that you think would have enjoyed today's topic, please let them know that the show will air again on Wednesday at 6. And next week, we'll be talking about the strength in sisterhood. So please mark your calendars for next Monday, 6 p.m. here on Radio Africa 1804. And in the meantime, if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions, please feel free to message me on Facebook at Lori Lee Camo or on Instagram, which is at Lori Lee underscore. So I thank you so much for listening. My phone has been buzzing this whole time. I'm going to try to address everybody's comments and, and definitely thinking about doing a, a follow-up show to this one where we can uh, talk more about everybody's thoughts. So thank you for listening and have a great evening.